This is my life. I I wake up in the morning, I eat, I sleep, I shit breakfast with the Browns. So whatever it is, but I never shut it off for five minutes. I can't wait to impress my friends with my astounding knowledge of cool. Join your favorite Brownsters and tune in and listen to the best selection of down-tempo electro-pop lounge core. Strictly Squaresville. Remember, subtle, basic, brown. Breakfast with the Browns. On CITR 101.9 FM, every Monday morning. Uh, from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. The older I get, the more life starts to make sense, and the less I care. Now we're riding the rainbow, the clouds big, and we're making it like young. Now we're riding the rainbow to Cloudsville And we're making it like you Now we're riding the rainbow to Cloudsville You know, you can give a hundred examples of what it isn't But man, you're going to have a hell of a time saying what it is For a taste of the classics with a twist, join me, Marguerite, with Classical Chaos Sunday mornings starting at 9, right here on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver, Canada. Do you need an upgrade to the soundtrack to your life? Perhaps a song from a film or a tune from TV? My name is Gap. Exploding Head Movies is here to give you sounds from the cinema, along with the songs that will be defining your future, and those forgotten classics that need a little rescue. Monday, 7 9 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. Hello, it is Wednesday, May 13th, and you're tuned in to the Arts Report. Today on the program, we have James and Jamesy in high tea. Uh, the creative minds behind James and Jamesy, Alistair Knowles and, um, and Aaron Malkin, we will have live in conversation. Um, another James, James Patrick Connell on Ballet BC's latest performance, Right? And Chris Hine, local filmmaker, um, on his latest documentary, The Encounter, which is set to shoot this summer. But first up, for, uh, first up, we have uh, James with us in studio, uh, who went and saw Ballet BC's performance of Right this past week. How was it? 
That's right, Jake. It was um, it was interesting to say the least. Uh, first of all, it's so nice to be back on the Arts Report. Welcome back. I'm yes, so happy to be here on CITR again. How how long have you been an arts reporter with the Arts Report? Um, two years, sporadically. Yeah, sporadically, on and off. I well, don't know. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks. It's good to be back. Um, and it's great to be back. Um, talking about such an amazing show. Um, Ballet BC's um season closer right um played this weekend. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the original Rite of Spring, but um, it was um, avant-garde nature that nearly caused a riot in the audience when it was... Um, literally. Literally. Yeah. yeah, when it premiered in 1913 in Paris. Um, it wasn't just the dance itself, but also, also the music. It broke all the rules at the time, and it kind of just threw everything out the window. Um, this production followed the same vein. Um, the f- there's two acts. The first act completely eclipsed the second one, so I'm going to talk about that most of our... Um, it was choreographed by Emily Molnair. She's the artistic director of um, BC Ballet, and the design was by Omar R. Bell. Um, he did a lot of the um, landscapes, um, the set, as it were. It's kind of like rolling salt hills with a very, very prominent salt um, tree coming from the roof. There's a really interesting article about how they made that tree in the Georgia Strait. You can read that if you want. But um, the dancers for the first act uh, were dressed in black leotards with space-like glitter on the sides, which sounded like a lot of fun, and I thought we were going to go somewhere, (laughs) but it went in a completely different direction. This was like Tim Burton meets Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) It was was really, really terrifying. Um, The plot follows a group of inhabitants, as they were, um, as they ritualistically greet the spring, become possessed by it, and eventually sacrifice one of their own to the shadow. The shadow being um, Connor was played was danced by Connor Nam um, in a kind of like a horse Trojan black outfit. Um, now, now you mentioned the 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 rite of spring, the original about a hundred years ago. It, it how how true to that was this performance, or were they um, were they expanding on it and kind of making it their own? Oh, they definitely expanded it and made it their own. Um, the original was built as um, pictures of pagan Earth in two parts. Um, and this was definitely pictures of pagan Pluto in two parts. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the original, um, it, it was mostly about becoming one with the Earth. And uh, at the time, the Earth was something scary and, you know, um, pagan, non-Christian and foreign. Um, this was about becoming uh, one with something much bigger, much, much more abstract. Um uh yeah the the movements themselves of the dancers um they were bird-like and insect-like at the same time Mm -hmm. um disjointed mechanical rapid sharp um arrhythmic completely arrhythmic um and the music which was composed by jeremy schmidt he's a vancouver-based composer uh is exactly what you'd expect eerie space age synth like atmosphere just atmosphere but um, one of the best parts of it was definitely Scott Fowler. Um, he stood out. Um, he had this kind of failed exorcism of the shadowy spirit. Okay. That was this man, he, his body is just so strong and so powerful uh, that when he was doing these weird kind of insect movements, it was just, it was disturbing. Um, yeah, in a kind of fun way. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah. Uh, where where was the show? 
Oh, these shows at the beautiful Queen Elizabeth Theater. That's a great spot. Yeah. Downtown, yeah. Nowhere else to go. Great drinks, good bathrooms. <laughs> um, but uh, the entire act was, uh, yeah, yeah. The first act it was, it was it was almost painful, um, disturbing, scary, and upsetting, which I think is kind of true to the original. Um, but also exactly what they intended. Yeah, and is that what it, what was the experience like as a viewer, just being watching this unsettling performance? Well, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Oh, oh yeah, the two women behind me were sobbing. Really sobbing. Um, they weren't there in the second act, so I don't know if, if there was something else going on. But I definitely the performance did not help. Um, wow. Yeah, like at, at intermission, I turned to my friend and I said to him, I said, I hope the next one's a little bit happier just because it, um, it was really unsettling. Wow. And, yeah. and w- why do you think they might have been? Do you, do you think it was from the performance? Do you think it was from this interpretation? Maybe. Of- maybe. Maybe they're really into the ballet. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't put it past them. It was, it was, it was really um, uh guttural I guess is the term I don't know you could feel it and you could tell you could my stomach was kind of turning at some points I don't know why it was just yeah really cool yeah, yeah. super cool and so so what did happen with the second act how, how did it turn around oh so the second act came out and um they were in these chiffon kind of turnics <laughs> and it was everything was all the dancers very androgynous they're all dressed very similar similar hair and everything um, and there's these three gigantic wicker trees on the stage. Um, the, s- the second act, sorry, it was called um, Consecracion, and it was uh, choreographed by Gustavo Ramiro Sanzano. So, um, and they used the original score from Rite of Spring. Okay. So it was a little bit more old school and slightly, and I want to emphasize slightly more traditional. It was still very contemporary and very ballet BC. But... Um, Interesting to call Rite of Spring traditional, which is something that a hundred yeah. years ago no one ever would have, you know, not a term that people would ascribe to that. Exactly. So that kind of gives you a point of reference as to where they took this, especially in the first act. The second one, um, it was, yeah, slightly more traditional. Um, the plot kind of followed um, youths finding sexual awareness in the woods. Um, there's a lot of gender play with the outfits, the movements, and the roles. Um, everything was very androgynous. Um, th- there was these passionate duets um, that kind of dealt with the disturbing subtleties of a battle between kind of personal and social constraints on love. Um, it's tender and violent and harsh, but compassionate. Um, but yeah, like it was as I was watching it, I was still thinking about the first act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of a nice, um, denouement, I guess, but it didn't, it was, it, it didn't stand against the first one very well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of disappointing that way. I don't know if I would have flipped them, but I don't know. I guess it's part of the story that you can't really have. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it was, a, I was disturbed because of the first act, and two, um, there was a gaggle of teenage girls behind me that were talking their way through the entire really? thing. Yeah, and it has a lot of really quiet parts and a lot of really slow kind yeah. of things, and a lot of giggle moments, right? Because there's men having passionate encounters with men, and mm-hmm. like a, there was a three-way kind of passion, and not a duet but a triad, I guess. Um, oh yeah, and it was just I had I had to turn around and tell them to shut up twice. 
but uh so it's it good little, good for you yeah, yeah that's oh, not yeah. always easy to do no no we're like you know we're like near the front these are yeah. people that are there because they want to be there i don't know how they got in <laughs> but all in all it was a fantastic closer for ballet bc and it was exactly what you'd expect from them exactly what they're there to offer and if next season is anything like this one they're gonna they're gonna tear those walls down excellent and when uh when does their season start up again in the- Ooh, when does their season start up the fall in the fall perhaps. i think yeah well we'll keep an eye late out. fall yeah we'll keep an eye out for their next schedule and hopefully we'd love to send you to more ballet <laughs> i'd love to i'd love to all right well thank you for for coming on and, and telling us um about what you saw thank you jake hopefully we'll see you around the arts report more in the future Okay, now, Down by Law is a 1986 Jim Jarmusch film um, that captures beautiful New Orleans architecture and the swampy uh, Louisiana bayou in stark black and white. The, uh, the movie focuses on the arrest, incarceration, and escape from jail of three innocent men, a disc jockey played by Tom Waits, a pimp by John Lurie, and an Italian tourist played by Roberto Benigni in his first uh, international role. The film plays at the Rio Theatre tonight at 9.30, and from the soundtrack, uh, here is Tom, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy waits, with Jockey Full of Bourbon. Uh, And when we come back, we will be here with um, James and Jamesy. Yeah. 
Firehall Art Center's God and the Indian explores one of Canada's darkest chapters, the residential school system. Celebrated playwright Drew Hayden Taylor's black humor illuminates this heartbreaking story of a Cree woman who cannot escape her past. On from May 20th to 30th, see firehallartcenter.ca for details. Discord is May issue available around town at venues and record stores. This month we're featuring articles on- Hey, sport, I thought we might kick the ball around in the backyard, hey? Oh, what are you doing in here? Why are all the lights turned Dad, off? Dad, close the door. I'm trying to do an ad for Discord. Don't let this happen to you. Pick up a copy of Discorder today, featuring articles on the documentary festival Doxa, as well as coverage of local artists Weird Candle, Neck of the Woods, The Back Homes, Holy Hum, and Gender Dog. CITR would also like to thank this month's Discorder advertisers. Sled Island, North by Northeast, Live Van, Vinyl Records, The Rickshaw Theatre, and AMS Events. The Westside Community Food Market is a small farmer's market located on West 8th Avenue and Vine Street, where you can find a myriad of local organic produce and gourmet homemade treats like canned black currant jelly or freshly baked bread. Every Thursday from 3 to 6 p.m. until September 19th, and the sponsors by Society Promoting Environmental Conversation and Kids Neighborhood House. Alright, James and Jamesy in High Tea is a new performance by 10-time Best of Fringe winners, James and Jamesy. Um, the show transcends physical comedy and redefines immersive theater. Uh, Alistair Knowles and Aaron Mackin are the creative minds behind James and Jamesy, and they join me in studio and over the phone. Welcome to CITR. Hey, hello, hello. Thanks Hi, for having hey. us. All right, so um, <laughs> Alistair's in studio, and uh, Aaron is just over the phone, and I understand that we've got um, Aaron on the phone until his new baby wakes up. Is that right? That's correct. Well, congratulations, and, and thank you for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Uh, how, how do you each, uh, how do you both describe James and James Z? Maybe, Alistair, sure. you can take this one. Uh, James and James Z, over the last couple of years, has sort of engulfed our lives uh, in this, in a creative pursuit of, of play. So they're theater performances, but they're really opportunities for us to play with each other and with communities across Canada. Primarily, uh, we've toured the show for the last uh, two years, or at least James and Jamesy characters for the last two years. This will be the third year coming up, and and each performance gives us an opportunity to take uh, audiences through a framework that we've created, a story, be it. Uh, which, uh, over the course of the show, invites them to participate as characters in the unfolding of the show. Hmm, so, you, it's, uh, and that's the note about immersive theater, I suppose. Yeah, we sort of uh, treat it like a like kids might treat a sandbox. We're in the theater together. We've got tools at our disposal, and and then we 
we slowly integrate elements of uh, audience participation throughout the performance. And Aaron, is that something that do you have? Do you have anything to add to that? Um, well, uh, when described in such broad strokes, uh, I would just want listeners at home to to know that that typifies the style of theater that we love to do. Um, but to not confuse high tea with two for tea, which we're finding lots of people are doing across the country. Uh, they're they're totally different um, stories uh, and shows, uh, but they both center around the James and Jamesy characters uh, who meet for a weekly cup of tea. And uh, each show um, ha- has its own uh, ad- epic adventure. Uh, and high tea, the one that we're bringing back to Vancouver uh, starting next week, is one that takes place on the on the high seas or the high teas, if you will, because uh, 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 some a catastrophe basically leads to the world flooding in tea, uh, and James and uh, Jamesy and I just have each other and our our imagination to well to save us and save the world and and the audience as well who who become part of it. I've seen a video where, I mean, sharks from the audience maybe join in whether they know they're going to or not oh yeah it's uh once we quite literally crack the fourth wall and flood the world with tea uh the theater performance moves from the stage into the audience where we invite everyone to to participate as initially sea creatures and then as the story progresses different characters emerge captains of ships and sharks and uh and the queen of england (laughs) Uh, tell me about the characters. Oh, James and Jamesy. Uh, they're a, an incredibly odd pairing, actually. Jamesy's an, an eccentric, very particular, recluse sort of fellow, and James is a gentle giant. And together, they they sort of only have each other in this world. But with to, uh, but even just the relationship between the two of them and the audience, they're able to experience such a wealth of emotion and have a relationship that that really pushes them to the brink of many different emotions. So, so it's a, a performance that gets to the heart and gets to gets to the fear and and joy of of living and and having someone to experience life with, and and creativity and play at the same time. Oh yeah, I mean at the back end of it, like Aaron and I, we we are amazed with having discovered this this medium for which us to experience life through we do a hundred plus shows a year and each show is just us uh, laughing hysterically with all these canadians it's been such a delight touring it to places where we visited before mm-hmm. and we have people that have played characters in our shows in two for tea there's my mother and father and doctors and generals and so we have hundreds of my mother's across Canada, some of them writing us uh, notes saying, Hi, Jamesy, it's your mother. Here's an extra teapot for your show. Uh, Or people bringing in teacups to our show saying, Oh, I know you need more teacups. Here you go. Here's my for my son. We have other people coming in dressed like James and Jamesy, wearing bowler hats and kids with uh, glasses with no lenses coming in. So it's been, we're just sort of dumbfounded with, having discovered a way to make clowning a livelihood and, and that fills our lives. Now, now I want to ask about that. I want to ask about about 
clowning. Are, are James and James E clowns? Well, you wouldn't uh, guess it um, right off the bat. We, we don't wear makeup. We don't have red noses. And actually, our training, while in clown, uh, didn't ever use makeup or noses. It's not a skills-based uh, training. It's a training where we're, we're learning how to share ourselves impulsively and honestly with the audience. So we create a dialogue, an ongoing dialogue with, with audiences. And, and I want to give Aaron a, a chance to jump in, but what, what, is, what is a clown? Oh, I'll, I'll tear that question down. Uh, I, I mean, probably most listeners have this uh, conception of clown as, you know, red nose and, and face paint. Um, and that's uh, a stereotype that comes from the three-ring circus clowns. Um, our style of clowning, um, whom we uh, learned mainly through David McMurray Smith, um, the main um, instructor of that art in the West Coast, uh, we c- everything we do on stage comes from what we call a body of delight. Uh, mm-hmm. There's this foundation of delight uh, simmering, this diaphragm just kind of vibrating, and everything we do. Uh, Jamesy before referred to uh, the the theater as a sandbox. Like we play our characters like a child plays with a toy. You know, at times it might seem silly, uh, and at times very serious. Uh, kids, uh, ba- babies, <laughs> are masterful clowns in that they're so honest and so present, and. Honestly, when I go to, say, the pool or a park with my baby, um, the connection that that, that, that my baby, Julian, uh, connects, he connects people of all ethnicities, of all languages, like, because of his presence. And as clowns coming into the theater with this body of delight, playing these characters, we give the audience... Uh, opportunities over and over again to connect with the joy, connect with the delight, um, and to join us in the play. And that is really what typifies our um, our branch of clowning. Yeah. What is so important about play? Mm. About playing and the act of, of to play? <laughs> I guess I, I have two thoughts on that. One is like your family arrives at this camping ground after six hours in the car, you know, you're sore and it's, you know, the seats are sweaty. Uh, and the dog jumps out when you open the door and starts running around and barking and chasing squirrels. And that energy of spontaneous delight in the moment, uh, is contagious and everyone just starts joining in and laughing and running around and, and, you don't question anything when you're in that joy. It's it's an immediate uh, relief from any any worries you had. It's reason enough in itself uh, to participate in and to love. Uh, and it's those moments that bring us together uh, with each other. It's those moments that create memories um, in in families in communities. Uh, and it's really healthy to have that outlet. So for us to get to play uh, these characters with audiences across Canada, uh, it's it's a privilege to to get to do that for our livelihood and to get to share that with thousands of Canadians every year. 
uh, not only do we do these theater shows, we also lead workshops, which um, are all about freeing yourself and overcoming obstacles that your your past has kind of put in yourself. Uh, Aaron, uh, so freeing people. Uh, Aaron, you mentioned yeah, you mentioned freeing people, and but uh, and to clarify, I'd say to, we provide opportunities for people to to let go of their own judgments of who they are. So in that way, you can participate in an activity uh, without fear of the outcome. Mm-hmm. And that's what our shows uh, do quite uniquely with, uh, with audience participation or immersive theater is that we're not asking the audience to, to entertain. We're not asking the audience to, to be the, the fall of any joke. We're asking audiences to to follow their impulses in participation. Now, that kind of that talk about play and the talk about being in a moment where where you suspend all judgment or care or um, or just kind of where you can just play. A lot of people listening might have think that about as like a childish thing or or a thing that. You know, if it's not reserved only for children, is something that just comes easier to children. It is something that's hard to access in the day-to-day world that we live. How how do you tap into that? Well, it is it is super hard. Uh, that's our training is it has been to cultivate that ability to play, to to find the inroads into it, um, and our shows are are basically tools for adult audiences to experience the joy of of impulsive play like like children um so many reviewers have have been dumbfounded with audiences willingness to to get up out of their seats to and and join us um why i think it's important is because uh, because letting yourself experience uh in our show, we we take audiences uh, on on a sort of journey that that becomes emotional, uh, and we get we invite audiences to to play these emotions with us. We're not asking them to actually be uh, upset or sad or, or joyous. We're asking them to play these emotions mm. with, as Aaron said, a body of delight. We're cultivating a delight in the experience, and that delight then can play a whole range of emotions, which. Uh, is uplifting. We get to experience what it means to be human in, in expanded ways. Now, uh, I, I know that we've got a pair of tickets that we're, we're going to be giving away to your show, and we'll, we'll do that um, later on in the show. We'll, we'll, um, we'll be able to give away a, a couple of tickets. But are we able to sort of give listeners a taste of, of what... Um, I mean, <laughs> physical comedy uh, over the radio. Sure. All right. Well, uh, rather than giving it some, uh, it's hard to describe physical comedy, but once we start talking in British accents and we go, oh, James, James, are, are you still there? James, uh, wait, hold on. Uh, James, I don't see you in the studio. Where, where did you possibly go? Oh, I'm over here. Oh, right. Over there? Over where? Over. I'm over here. Oh, look. L- look where? I can't see you in the studio at all. Wait, well, hold not, on. I might have seen. That. No. I see a pair of legs. No, no, those are. Uh, those no, might be my legs. No, those are. James, <laughs> uh, you're not there at all. Uh, Whose body is that? Oh, That's not my body. 
Well, that's your voice, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, then how is it? Couldn't it not be you? <laughs> so, we sort of... and, and I can understand right away how with a physical show it's very difficult to to you know to convey that over the radio and uh, I threw you guys in really yeah, well it's, it's fun uh, but in that moment all we're trying to do is we're trying to set up a game so yeah. it's and we do that physically as well uh, the shows are structured but in that it's oh I, I see an opportunity for a game of where are you yeah. so let's play hide and seek we're not doing it physically. We're doing it audibly. Yeah. Uh, and so how far can we take that? I, I can hear you. You're in my head. <laughs> no, those are the microphones. No, I can hear you. Oh, wait, the left side is louder. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, the speaker in the left ear isn't working. <laughs> uh, we, I do have a couple videos. I won't play them right now, but I'll, I'll put them on our website afterwards so people can get a taste of, of how immersive and, and how spontaneous your shows are because I imagine that every show is has just as many things that are different as, as the same it's well uh, our show we treat the audience like the th- a third uh, a very important third character so after as we do the show many many times we become familiar with audience uh, audience responses and we're able to really shape it so that every time we go on stage we know we're going to nail certain uh, fantastically fun elements with the audience. So we really uh, handhold. Mm. Uh, in some ways, we really guide the audience down this river of impulse. And uh, often when something uh, happens uh, that hadn't been planned, uh, that is uproarious, uh, we look for ways to build that into the show, into its future. Uh, and not not everything can be done uh, can be put into the show uh, so deliberately, but uh, lots of great uh, moments arose actually through accident, mm-hmm. uh, and now are a part of the show every time we do it. When you say accident, they are they arose out of impulse; they were not planned. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a really fun. Sorry, that, that was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fun uh, challenge to take a show that that is derived from from spontaneous. Uh, creation and turn it into a scripted performance uh this show actually won best script in montreal uh, at the montreal fringe festival and we were dumbfounded that the script won um an award because we thought oh our show is so physical but really the show uh, is about two friends inviting each other into the world of imagination and sharing the value of that imagination with each other and the audience and and in addition to all the physical humor that we we fill the show with, the content is uh, is meaningful, and we feel that's a, a valuable thing to to put on stage. Uh, you mentioned the Montreal Fringe Festival. You guys have been able to make a living just for the last little while exclusively from the fin- Fringe Festival circuit. Uh, well, Fringe Festival and other shows. So we do 100 shows a year, and 50 of them are in the Fringe. What does it mean for you guys to be able to perform these characters and and to draw your living from it? It is exhilarating. Um, I have a business degree from UBC, uh, and I went in my last year, I was doing both business and clown school. And my approach with business sort of enters into all facets of my life in that how can I make decisions that achieve my goals? Mm -hmm. So... With James and Jamesy, 
uh, one of the goals is a financial goal. We want to make a living doing it. And so I, uh, I'm able to really hold a, a big picture of, of this little company we have. It's the two of us and our, at times our director, uh, David McMurray-Smith. And how can we make shows that are accessible, compelling? How can we invite uh, sponsors uh, on board? Tetley Tea sponsors our show. <laughs> and we have tea for everyone, so bring a teacup. Um, and then if we're, uh, we have to do, put shows on stage if we're going to make an income doing it. So in addition to the fringe tours, we've actually gone out of our way to create opportunities for us to perform. This run of shows next week at the Jericho Arts Center is one of those opportunities where we partner with a local arts organization, in this case, the Jericho Arts Center, uh, in, in doing a co-presentation. Well, uh, just before I let you guys go, uh, can you tell me about the Vancouver, uh, Vancouver's Ingest Festival of Clown and Play? Oh, yeah. Aaron, you want to take this? Sure. Um, there's a rich community of uh, physical comedians and clowns in Vancouver, uh, and we love working together, and we love uh, raising awareness of this art of clown and the benefits it has for uh, bringing people together, for building community, uh, and just for health and welfare. Um Vancouver is noted as one of the loneliest cities in uh, Canada. There's the least eye contact here uh, in a survey of, uh, you know, across the, the cities across Canada. Uh, and so we, uh, with our, our director and, and other uh, clowns, our director being David McRae-Smith, uh, decided, hey, let's put on a festival that celebrates clown and brings people together from diverse backgrounds, diverse ethnicities, uh, and build community, um, and feature clowning, giving an opportunity for, uh, local and out of town, uh, clowns to perform. Uh, so last year was the inaugural festival. We had a wonderful time. There were, I think four days and maybe, uh, eight or 10 or 12 shows. Um, and it was, incidentally, where we debuted High Tea, uh, the show that we've now toured across Canada and are bringing back next week. Um, and it will come again. <laughs> um, this year, we're kind of hibernating, um, looking for funding and just, just planning the future of Ingest because we, uh, we all want to keep doing it. There's with, the art, with clowning as an art form, uh, a lot of people get into it doing short sketches, turns as you'd call them in the circus, would be a turn around the ring. So you'd make one turn around the ring, present a concept, play it, and by the time you finish your walk around the ring, that concept would be finished. And so we wanted, and there aren't that many opportunities for people to practice their clowning skills. So ingest was an opportunity to showcase that. Uh, something we've been inspired by and we were wanting to cultivate with that festival is opportunities for people to do their sketches or their, their turns and give opportunities for longer form clowning. So we had half hour shows, 45 minute shows. Our show was an hour long. Um, we're really inspired by folks like Rowan Atkinson who, who has taken his clown character uh, or actually multiple clown characters that he would play and combined them into his character. That's most well known, Mr. Bean. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically each one of his performances is like, each one of those 26 minute episodes is an extended clown turn uh, that build on each other. So 
uh, we've taken James and Jamesy and in, in a similar vein, uh, we're building shows around around a, a an, an incident in high tea. It's my teapot ceases to stop pouring and floods the world. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Alistair Knowles and Aaron Mackin, uh, otherwise known as James and Jamesy, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, that's been our pleasure. Thanks for having us, Jake. All right. Um, James and Jamesy in high tea runs May 18th through the 24th at the Jericho Arts Center. Um, and we are giving away one pair of tickets. So the first person to email arts at citr.ca, that's A-R-T-S at citr.ca, um, with the subject header James and Jamesy in high tea, uh, gets a pair of tickets. So send your emails right away, quickly, and um, and we will love to give that away to some lucky listeners. All right, well, thank you very much. Stay tuned for the show, and we will have Chris Hind over the phone soon to talk about his latest documentary film. Are You Aware Radio, alternate Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. at CITR 101.9 FM. Profiling music and musicians take the root of positive action over apathy. For a taste of the classics with a twist, join me, Marguerite, with Classical Chaos, Sunday mornings starting at 9, right here on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver, Canada. Either you've been troubled, you've been broke, you've been hungry, no job, no money, the one you loved and deserted you, that makes you blue. Got the blues? Just want to hear some blues? Tune in every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 5 for Code Blue. Right here on CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver, www.citr.ca, Code Blue. how he feels about it. Blues ain't nothing but a man, good man feeling bad. No, that's all that is. Let me refresh your memory. Russians. That's right. Russians. Ruskies. Communists. Communists. Oh, now you remember. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Russian Tim, and I'm the host of weekly punk rock radio show called Rocket from Russia. Every Tuesday, 10.30 to 11.30 a.m., Rocket from Russia is aired on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, or CITR.ca, anywhere where internet is paid for. On the show, I play new, local, and international punk rock, and I also do interviews with members of punk bands and people from the punk rock scene. If you'd like to check out the previous interviews, episodes of Rocket from Russia, and the list of upcoming shows in Vancouver, head down to my blog, rocketfromrussia.tumblr.com. Great success!
The Encounter is a new documentary by multimedia artist Chris Hind, currently fundraising through Kickstarter. The documentary is set to be a 30-minute point-of-view film that explores the creator's true story of the paranormal and the unexplained. And Chris joins us over the phone. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jake. Uh, thanks for taking the time to, to talk to us about the project. Oh, no worries. So um, what happened that inspired you to make this film? Uh, you mean the story? Yes. Okay, I'll, do, I'll be as brief as I can. Uh, it was a very clear October night, and I was uh, coming back from volunteering at the film festival, uh, and I was walking through a park at 14th and Commercial. And I looked over to the North Shore Mountains and uh, just was admiring the view, um, and a cloud started to form in front of the mountains. And it got bigger and bigger and more dense and more dense until it was probably kilometers wide and kilometers high. And in a very short period of time, it kind of morphed into a green uh, northern lights display. And uh, that's kind of a rare thing for Vancouver. So I stood there and I was watching it and just enjoying this amazing uh, weather anomaly. And another cloud started to form in front of the mountains, uh, again in a very short time. And it got thick and dense and so thick and so dense that I couldn't see the northern lights through it anymore. And this is where the story gets weird. <laughs> the cloud uh, started to move towards me across the uh, inlet, and eventually it was right over top of me. So I was the center of it. And at that point, it was in the shape of a bell, and it was a hollow bell. And on the lower edge of the bell uh, were these waving, misty tentacles, kind of uh, at head height. And as I looked up through the bell, there was a circular hole in the top that I could see the stars through. And uh, not another cloud in the sky, just this misty, cloudy bell over top of me. And a light started to come towards the hole in the top and eventually shone straight down through this brilliant, brilliant white light. And on the inside edge uh, of the bell it burned the shape of a bird with its wings outstretched. Mm -hmm. And at that very moment, a word came into my head as if it was a, a blackboard and someone had wiped it clean and just wrote the word angel. And then the light went away on its uh, arc and the whole cloud-shaped thing, this bell, moved south and dissipated into nothing in a matter of minutes. Uh, how long was this whole event? Uh, about an hour. Wow. Yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> and and what do you make of it? Well, that's the focal point of the documentary, is that uh, I tell my encounter to people of uh, varying degrees of uh, professional, um, uh, well, different uh, things like religion and science and weather and police and that kind of thing, and ask them what they think uh, happened to me. And, and that way I'm kind of narrowing down what I think. There's a number of possibilities. I mean, uh, you read my Kickstarter thing. Uh, it could have been UFO-related, because the cloud did kind of move intelligently towards me. Uh, it could be some kind of strange uh, weather phenomenon or related to some kind of message from uh, from the Earth entity, if you like. Uh, it could be spiritual or religious in nature, um, because... Uh, not only because of the angel, but um, I've been given the description of the Holy Ghost coming to Earth and the Pentecost. 
mm-hmm. and it's almost exactly the same as my experience. So uh, I'm going to use that in the in the documentary as well. So there's a number of possibilities, uh, and I want to narrow things down. Uh, going into the documentary, what what do you think happened? <laughs> Uh, well, I have the extra knowledge of having interviewed a bunch of people already, and uh, I'm still not 100% sure, and I think that's a good thing for a documentary filmmaker, because then there's lots of room for surprises and catching my surprise on film. Um, I was definitely singled out. Um, I'm leaning against UFOs, and I've also been interviewed by UFOBC, and I don't think it's a UFO either. Um so it could be I stepped into a different uh, dimension for a few minutes or an hour and I experienced this thing that was a normal thing for that dimension or it was some special thing. Uh, for example, the Hindus believe that uh, we're all from a different planet and I interviewed a Hindu priest and he said that uh, he thought it possibly was people from my own planet um, just saying, hey, everything's cool, um, carry on. So uh, I'm still not 100% sure either way, so I'm going to evade your question. <laughs> sure. But uh, I'm narrowing it down slowly but surely. Now, um, on your Kickstarter, you describe yourself as um, being an agnostic, um, a poor communicator, self-centered and closed to personal growth before this incident. Yes. Um, what's changed for you? Uh, I'm much more interested in the spiritual side of things and my own spiritual nature. Um, I've gotten into uh, pranic healing, um, shamanism. Um, I take lots of courses and I have many shamanic friends and do workshops and that kind of thing. So, um, And that that's spiritual. That's not organized religion at all. Um, so I've, I've really changed that way. I'm... I'm uh, more of a believer now and uh, open to all the possibilities and uh, not looking at things through just a scientific mind anymore. Now, I mean, you've mentioned a few possibilities. You've mentioned sort of um, aliens or angels or, or the Holy Ghost as, as described in, in the Pentecost. Um, but what do you say to people who are skeptical about your story? Um, I think that's a, that's a totally valid uh, way to look at things. I mean, in I look at other things, too, in it with a skeptical eye. Um, I don't think it's um, a good thing to accept anything, hook, line, and sinker. Um, and in the documentary, I am going to address the whole idea of credibility and that kind of thing by going through a polygraph or an eye scan and uh, and doing that kind of thing. So anybody who's skeptical, I mean, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion and... Uh, I hope through my documentary that I convince those people that something really did happen to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you mentioned three personal risks or, or three trials that, that you'll uh, be taking through the course of making the documentary. Can you explain that a little bit to us? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I didn't want it to be just a talking head kind of documentary. So I thought, uh, like I mentioned previously, that credibility is always important because um, there's just so much uh, or, or such a lack of proof and uh, visions or encounters such as such as I had. So I thought, uh, you know, uh, doing a polygraph or having an eye scan um, and getting the results from that would be a good idea. So that's one of the trials. 
another trial is to see if I can remember anything more or if I remember things differently by undergoing a hypnotic regression. And then the third trial is there's a guy in uh, Laurentian University called Dr. Persinger who uh, has developed this helmet, a neuro helmet that has electrodes that uh, when you put the helmet on and the electrodes kind of sink into your uh, synapses and that kind of thing, he can stimulate your brain and evoke um, spiritual religious experiences. So I thought that would be a good idea to film that and uh, see what kind of experiences I had through that. So can, can you tell me a little bit about that neuro helmet? What, what is a neuro helmet? <laughs> well, if you ever see a picture of it, it looks like a motorcycle helmet. And on the, they've drilled um, electrodes into it and it's all hooked up. It's like a kind of like an EEG machine, except it's got feedback. So they send impulses to various um, centers of your brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they can actually stimulate um, people who have un- uh, put the helmet on, have experienced it like, like um, uh, visions and, and that kind of thing. So um, um, it's, it's a brain research tool. Well, Chris, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us about your, your film and, and the documentary. Uh, how, how can people um, help out if uh, to contribute to the creation of this film? Uh, well, the two ways, really. Um, if you can contribute financially, Kickstarter is still going on until uh, tomorrow morning. I'm kind of running out of, running out of time on that. But the Kickstarter page stays up, and I can update it whenever I want. Um, the next step will be to... Um, probably start filming um and even if i don't achieve my goal on kickstarter there'll be information there on where you can still contribute after the time limit is up and just spreading the word is uh fantastic uh the more people who know about it um the better and uh it's been a great campaign so far in terms of getting the word out and i've been uh hearing from all kinds of people from from all over the world who've had uh um interesting experiences, not like mine, but uh, from other sides of things. So, uh, yeah, just uh, pledging and contributing and uh, supporting me by spreading the word would be great. All right. Well, well, thank you very much again for, for coming on and, and talking to us. And oh, my pleasure. I love talking about my uh, experience. Well, and, and be in touch as the, as the filming progresses. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, the The Encounter is a new documentary that uh, that multimedia artist Chris Hind is fundraising through Kickstarter. Uh, check out the Kickstarter campaign by looking up The Encounter and Kickstarter, and um, and and spread the word. Thank you, Chris. Tune in every other Sunday from three to four p.m. for Blood on the Saddle with your host Dan N. For real, authentic country. Listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting to you live from unceded Musqueam territory out at UBC campus. 
Um, now we are just about to say goodbye, so I thought I would introduce our newest intern, Hannah. Hannah, welcome to CITR. Thank you. <laughs> and y- how long have you been um, interning here at the station? This is only my third day, so I'm, I'm a newbie. Oh, well, welcome. And have, have you been on the radio yet? Nope, this is my first time. First time on yeah. the radio. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I just found out before we went to air that you are interning from Earl Marriott Secondary. That's right. Which yeah. is my alma mater. <laughs> I, I graduated from there um, in 2008. Well, I guess well, that, yeah. <laughs> seven years ago. <laughs> I still have one more year before I can graduate. Cool. Um, yeah. And w- and why? Uh, how? What? What's the internship program, and why did you choose CITR? Uh, I'm in the co-op program at Earl Marriott, so it's where students get to the opportunity to be in one class for a whole semester and then get two, three-week work experience. And um, I chose CTR, uh, C- CITR because um, I'm interested in like media relations and communications and. So I thought radio would be a good way to kind of explore that side of business and like see what I want to go into when I'm older. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, can, can welcome welcome <laughs> to the crew. Thank you. <laughs> and I I am sorry to hear about the bus ride that you probably take every day <laughs> coming out here. Okay, just before we go, I am going to um, tell the people about a few things coming up this week. We have to congratulate a few people. Cinecoop Film Accelerators uh, just announced their top 15 um, films, and that list includes four Vancouver films, including A Western, Blackland, Goons, and The Legend of Davy Crockett. Um, the On May 25th, the list will go from 15 down to 5, and those five will be flown into Banff for a chance to pitch their film um, for $1 million in funding and the chance to screen their film um, at some theaters around. So congratulations to them. And while we're on film, um, Phoenix is a new film by German filmmaker Christian uh, Petzold, uh, and that opens in Vancouver this Friday at, uh, at Van City Theaters. Um, that film, it follows Nellie, uh, a woman in Germany just after the Second World War who is presumed dead in the Holocaust and returns home uh, under a new identity to see if uh, her husband has stayed true to her or not. Um, Miss Shakespeare is currently running until May 29th. Now, um, I don't know if you can read my writing or not, Hannah, but can you tell the people about Miss Shakespeare? It's right there, that one. And I can, I can transliterate my okay. poor writing. Uh, so Miss Shakespeare, May 29th, Saucy and Uproarsian? Um, yeah, Uproarsian. <laughs> Uproarsian. New music about Shakespeare's rebellious daughter who breaks convention to to stage plays with women in a time when they are forbidden from the stage. Miss Shakespeare is created by Tracy Power and plays until May 17th at Perform... Performance Works. Thank you. And May 21st to 29th at the K. Meek Center. Yeah, in in West Vancouver. Thank you. That was... You weren't expecting that, and you did very well. (laughs) 
Um, the last thing I want to tell you guys about is The Sensationalists, which is a new experimental dance collaboration created by 605 Collective and Theatre Replacement. It's a cross-disciplinary performance that explores sensory phenomena and turns the Colch Theatre into an immersive space where uh, the audience becomes mobile throughout the performance and is placed right inside the action. The Sensationalists runs uh, May 12th to the 16th and um, each night at 8 p.m., and I hope you enjoy it. So thank you very much for tuning in to the Arts Report. Um, send us an email if you want to win a couple of tickets to James and Jamesy, um, arts at citr.ca, if uh, you want some tickets. It looks like Benjamin has sent us an email and is... Our new winner. Congratulations to Benjamin. Uh, and we are going to leave you now with uh, Arts on Air coming up next. Uh, today on the show, it is the last show of the academic season, and Dr. Candice Collison, the assistant professor of the School of Journalism, sits down with Ira Nadell this week to discuss her recent book, How Climate Change Comes to Matter. She also discusses the public interest in the Arctic and both challenges and new solutions journalists have to report from Canada's far north. So Arts on Air is coming up next, and thank you for tuning in. If uh, you have anything, any comments or questions or concerns, feel free to be in touch at arts at citr.ca. From CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, this is UBC Arts on Air. I'm your host, Ira Nadell. Each week, we feature the ideas and stories of students and staff within the Faculty of Arts at the University of British Columbia. Today,